Welcome to Life, Death, and the Law, presented by the law firm of Deason, Garner, and Hanson, hosted by attorneys Sean Garner and Adam Hanson. Welcome to Life, Death, and the Law. I'm Sean Garner, attorney with Deason, Garner, and Hanson, and I'm in studio with my partner, Adam Hanson, and our good friend, Cody Beeson, who is running the boards. Good morning, gentlemen. So I want to talk this morning about, I think, a plague that is going through America, I think the world over, and a lot of people seem to be puzzled by how uh, prevalent it is, but uh, this, that the solution is so difficult to come by. And let me just come out and say what it is. It's, it's depression. It's depression specifically among our children. Now, adults are known to be depressed, right? Um, I'm depressed just being an adult. Every time I get up and I'm, I know that I'm a day older, it's like, oh boy, I'm slower, I'm stiffer, I'm less energetic. But kids, they should wake up happy, they should go to bed happy, life should be a bowl of cherries for them, right? We, especially here in America where so much is provided, they've got um, all the food that they need for the most part. I know that there are families and situations that um, are difficult, but for a kid where they don't internalize most of the worries that adults have to take on every day, um, it should be this bright, cheery experience until they reach 18 years old and then get cast out of the nest and they're in the w- real world. But I was talking to my children the other night and they were worried because of the footprint on the earth, the carbon footprint on the earth that our house was making. They said, you know, our house is destroying nature. I'm like, where are you guys getting this? And they were very concerned about that. So um, I said, tell me, what, what's the deal? And they said, well, we've got the grass and we're wasting the water and we've got this house and it cost all these materials and we happen to be laying some new tile um, on our porch in the backyard and my son is like we don't need to use these extra materials and I was like well, well, it's gonna make it look prettier and it's I mean he's nine years old money is is not really a concept in his mind yet so I, I dug a little deeper to ask what was going on and he's concerned that um, we're destroying the earth by everything that we consume or everything that we produce that we're just this cancer on the earth and we have to reduce or eliminate either our footprint or our existence overall and in order to eliminate our footprint we just have to go back either to um, tribal days or the dark ages where there really wasn't a very long life and it was short and, and pretty pitiful for humans. I think the average life age during the Dark Ages was about 35 and most people died during childbirth. That was the, that was the largest cause of death, that and war. So um, I talked to him and I said, listen, okay, let's think about this um, house situation for a moment. What was our house, what was the lot that our house is sitting on five years ago? It was just this dirt space. There was tumbleweeds there. There was maybe a couple lizards, but not much. It was just sand, dry, desolate dirt. And then we started to develop it. We dug a well and tapped into these underwater rivers that are flowing through. Um, We also have access to irrigation, but we decided not to use it. So we built a solar structure. We built the house. We put in a sprinkler system that all runs off of the well. And the house sits on about 1.75 acres. 
And so I planted 88 trees, 250 bushes, and um, a large lawn. All of it is watered by the well. And uh, the house is essentially net zero as far as electricity goes because of the solar. Now, the only reason I was able to afford solar was because there's subsidies. Uh, the government is still subsidizing solar, and I don't think that it has caught up to regular um, production of electricity through fossil fuels or other things like that. But either way, we have solar. So my kids shouldn't feel bad about the electricity that we use to heat and cool our house or cool the house. We don't heat it. It, it heats itself here in Yuma, Arizona. But the situation that we've created is a place where plants are thriving. Grass is thriving. Trees are thriving. There's a lot of birds that come now and are in our yard all the time. Um, You just think of the organisms that are living in the lawn and in the bushes and in the trees and the carbon that's being captured both in the lawn. Every blade of grass is like a little solar panel. It's taking in sunlight, it's producing food out of it, it's making the environment directly around it cooler, and uh, it's producing something good, as opposed to just allowing the desert to sit desolate and have this underwater river run through it and under it and, and actually not produce anything that's beneficial for life here on Earth. So I explained all that to him, and it seemed to help alleviate this big burden, this weight that was on his chest. And I don't know that a lot of parents are, number one, understanding how worried the kids are about us as humans turning the planet into this fireball that is going to be uninhabitable, or that we are the enemy to nature, the enemy to Mother Nature and the planet in general, that everything would be better off without human beings. And I totally disagree with that. And I don't know why that's being taught in our society in general and in schools, because if you look at the desert around us, we've beautified it. We've made it, we're the vegetable capital of the world in the wintertime, and that's all because we're utilizing the resources that would just pass us by and flow into the ocean, the salty ocean, if we didn't utilize them. And us living in this house is not only helping the animals, thrive all around us, but is helping my children grow in a happy, safe environment and learn to be productive members of society, learn to be kind to other people and to um, be good stewards to nature in general. We have a farm where we've got 60 sheep and goats and we've got about uh, 50 chickens and all of them are also sucking carbon out of the atmosphere. If carbon was a bad thing in the atmosphere, which I'm still undecided about, but if it were, then all of those goats, every time they eat the grass, um, they are fertilizing the ground. That's that's making the ground more carbon rich, and so it's sequestering more and more carbon into it. And so I did a little bit of mathematics and study on how much carbon each tree and plant is pulling out of the atmosphere. So Cody, how much do you drive on average, or would you say a normal person drives on average per year? Oh, um, I fill up my tank a couple times a month. Okay. So I'll just say that the national average for um, a car, the mileage that you put on it, is about 12,000 miles. Yeah. Okay. So 12,000 miles a year, is that about what you drive? You, you go camping once in a while. You go out touring around. You go do your comedian um, 
so tours. Prob- probably a little bit more, but you figure, yeah, so a thousand, a thousand a month, you know? Yeah. That's about average, yeah. Okay. So um, with that, if your car gets between 20 and 25 miles to the gallon, which is about average for a small car, some cars get a lot worse, some cars get a lot better, but um, that is going to be a thousand gallons a year that you use. And a tree, one tree can actually um, take in a thousand gallon or a thousand pounds of CO2. Ten trees will offset that of a car. So the amount of gas that an average person uses is about 500 gallons per year. Now that's a lot of gasoline, but if you think about it, um, a tree can actually offset a a thousand pounds of carbon dioxide, one tree every single year. And of course, different trees take in different amounts. I'm talking about an ash tree. And at my house, I've planted 48, 48 ash trees at my house. So um, it offsets, each one of those offsets a thousand pounds of CO2. That's 50 gallons of gas each year. So we've offset the amount of gasoline that we're using to even commute back and forth. So not to say anything about what the energy the house is consuming by cooling it and um, keeping the fridge going and the lights going and everything else. But um, just to commute back and forth, the landscape is actually offsetting any impact that we have and and providing a better result in the end. It's it's providing trees that... uh, not only beautify the earth, but um, are providing cleaner air and um, pulling carbon dioxide out of the air and putting it down into the soil. And so there is a net zero for many people who actually build houses and build landscaping. And the reason that I bring this up is because I think one of the biggest social harms to our children is anxiety and depression. We saw that spike dramatically when um, we had the lockdowns from COVID, that a lot of people are coming out depressed and their mental health has just kind of gone down and down and down. And, and that was already an issue before COVID. With the lockdowns, it's become even more so. And then you pile on top of them that this, this climate movement that everybody seems to be concentrating on, at least the mainstream media, that um, it, it's a very depressing situation to live in. And the, the problem is it's not real. Number one, it's, it's, I don't, it's, it's not something that is bad for human to, humans to interact with nature. So if we look at the reality of it, if you want to be a climate activist, it used to be that you'd plant a tree. Do you remember in elementary school that we had an Earth Day? And this, like, the thing to do, the tradition to do, what did you do for your Earth Day? I mean, I think we planted trees for that. You know, like that, that was, everybody did, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, and that's what I did too. I planted trees. Arbor Day. Maybe we did that on Arbor Day. Well, we did it for Earth Day specifically. I don't know what day even Arbor Day is. But um, anyway, we're doing, we're planting trees. And so we've got these people that are protesting. You've got to stop burning fossil fuels now. But here's the thing. If you stop burning fossil fuels, then you're going to get rid of all of these modern uh, amenities that we have that make life even possible and make it possible for us to deal with climate change. In fact, we're living in a situation where we couldn't deal with the climate as it is. 
but we've dealt with climate change by creating houses that provide air conditioning. And we can offset that if there is indeed a problem just by planting more trees. So I don't know why they want the farmers to stop planting fields and why they want the developers to stop developing where they, there are many more parks are created, especially in urban areas or areas where trees don't grow naturally and are reforesting and, and focusing more on just reforesting the trees. So what, what comes to mind to you, Adam, about why, why there isn't a bigger focus on, hey, instead of stop burning fossil fuels, let's plant more trees, let's plant more grass? I don't know. It seems to me that there's an agenda. And so there's something to be gained from not doing those things. What would that be? Money. Control. Control, yeah. I don't know the answer. I mean, I, what other reason would you do it? It's not for the better good of humanity. And, and, that you've and that's the irony, up. right? They, they put it out as if they are the saviors of humanity in general because, number one, the earth is going to be too hot for, for mankind to live on it or great wars and strife are going to occur because the climate change is going to force these mass migrations of people. And we've actually demonstrated a tremendous ability to handle climate change. In the past 100 years, we've reduced, and I've talked about this in, in other segments, but we've reduced the deaths from climate change by 98%. 98% people die because of weather-related storms, issues, exposure to heat and cold today than they did 100 years ago. And that's all due to fossil fuels, the energy that we have access to and the things that we're able to build as a result of fossil fuels. So now we target fossil fuels as the enemy and that's gonna magically make the earth 80 degrees and very pleasant to live in every day. I don't, I don't understand where that mentality comes from. It's totally backwards. Anyways, we've gotta take a break. We're gonna come back. This is Life, Death, and the Law. You're listening to Life, Death, and the Law, presented by Deason, Garner, and Hansen, the law firm that has been voted Yuma's best six years in a row. Hey, Yuma, Dave Ramsey here. If you listen to our show or know anything about us, then you know I only recommend products and services I trust and I believe in. That's why when it comes to protecting your assets and planning for your loved one's future, you've got to call my friends Sean Garner and Adam Hansen at the law firm of Deason, Garner, and Hansen. I encourage you to take the first step and attend a free, no-pressure seminar and learn all of your options. The firm of Deason, Garner, and Hansen has been educating the Yuma community for over 40 years, and this is the only area of law that they practice. Sean and Adam believe in giving free education to help people make smart decisions about their assets and help them leave a legacy for their family that they can be proud of. Schedule a free personal consultation today. Call 783-4575 or visit YumaEstatePlanning.com. You're listening to Life, Death, and the Law, presented by Deason, Garner, and Hansen, the law firm that has been voted Yuma's best six years in a row. Welcome back to Life, Death, and the Law. We just talked about how our children are suffering from anxiety and depression, and a lot of that becomes, I think, it's, it's the government's fault. I like to blame the government for a lot of things, so why not this? Um, one of the things that they've done is they shut down schools, they shut down churches, they shut down shops and you know, public gatherings. 
we are social animals. We like to get out. We like to interact. We need to learn. We need to get out and produce and, and um, participate in commerce. And so a lot of that created um, anxiety for our children and depression. And now we're having, sh well, we've always had shootings, but the shootings seem to be um, a bigger issue in the news. And almost every single one of them, if not all of them, go back to depression, domestic issues, or um, some type of mental disorder. And so, okay, if the problem is the mental disorder, let's address the problem and what's causing the problem. Probably telling our kids that they're a cancer on this earth is not going to help them very much. And so my kids were depressed and, and we're doing a lot to try to contribute to society. And I'm not trying to paint myself out as a saint out there, but we do participate in community outreach programs Frequently, we plant trees. We go out there and we participate in um, cleanup programs for the West Wetlands, and, and they planted a ton of trees at the West Wetlands and brought that park back. We also went out to um, Squaw Lake. I don't even know if I'm allowed to say Squaw Lake on the air anymore. I'll probably get canceled for that. But we went out there and planted trees out there, and so we go out and we participate in recreation quite a bit. The amount just of the trees that were planted around my house According to the calculations that I pulled off of how much a tree pulls out of the air for carbon dioxide, we've offset our carbon footprint four times the amount that we put in. And so the earth is four times better off. And that's just carbon in the air. That's not counting all of the wildlife and nature that it actually produces and, and helps assist. And then there's my family. And if there's any credit for having happy, healthy children participating in our society, there's that that goes well along with it. I wanna, I wanna open this question up. I've been doing a lot of talking, big monologue here. Do you see that depression, anxiety, mental illness, the stress of whether or not you're white, black, all of those social issues is being kind of shoved down our kids' throats as far as every day when they go to school and they, they listen to the news or they participate in, in just traditional education? I would, I, that's a deep question, and I think, um, I think our kids are resilient. I think uh, if we're doing right at home, they might be lambasted with a lot of these things at school, but I'd, I'd like to think that I encourage my kids not to just um, be spoon-fed stuff, information at school. Uh-huh. Question it. Yeah, unfortunately. But um, I think that's what's happening because my kids will come home all the time and they'll say something like, oh, on, it used to be Channel One News. I don't know what it is now. I can't remember what they did. Yeah, back when we were growing up, they'd play that Channel One. Right before lunch for me, it would be Channel One News. We would tune in for maybe 10, 15 minutes and it gave us a snippet of what was going on in the world that day or the, up to that point, the day before or something like that. And uh, so they have that same equivalent. And so when, when they get home, they'll often say, oh, we saw something on the news today. You know, again, they're trying to push this agenda on us or I hate it when they do this, that, or the other. Or it's my teacher that's trying to do this, that, or the other. I thought it was a lot less biased though when we were kids. Although I do remember them talking about global warming and that you know the earth was going, in 2020, it was gonna be this big fireball if we didn't reverse course. I remember on Sesame Street, vividly, like there would be, you'd watch a, a thing of Sesame Street, they would do it in clips of like the, the Muppets, and then it'd be like commercial breaks, but not commercial breaks, and they would turn to something else that wasn't the Muppets, and uh, during those breaks, there was always something inevitably about 
turning off the water yeah. or turning off the lights when you leave the room. They're always, and so I'd always feel bad when I'm brushing my teeth if I didn't shut the water off or I'd always feel bad if I left the room without doing the lights. And that was really a product of what I saw over and over again on Sesame Street as I grew up as a little kid on PBS. So I think there was always this conservation-mindedness. Um, and there was even a cartoon back in the 90s called Captain Planet. Do you remember that? It was a pretty cool cartoon. Yeah, I vaguely remember. It was all about conserving and, and all this stuff. And um, he's a superhero. So I think the climate stuff has always been there. And they've been trying. They I don't even know who they is. The man. Mm -hmm. That's why we go to Burning Man. Is because of they. <laughs> but uh, I think they have been trying to preface all this in our minds since we were kids during the, the 90s. The irony is in the 70s, what the predictions were, were that we were going into another ice age. And if you read a majority of the scientific papers back then, it was that there was going to be this cooling of the earth and there wasn't going to be enough crops because the growing season would be shortened. And so we were going to have um, mass starvation. And so we've got to have, stop having kids. And there was a lot of discussion at high levels in, in places like Stanford and Harvard and Yale about um, lacing like the, the water with, instead of fluoride to help keep your teeth strong, um, sterilants to keep you from being as fertile. And that was, there was some serious discussion about that because they were convinced that the earth was gonna cool, we couldn't grow enough crops. In reality, what happened was the earth has become slightly warmer and uh, because it's warmer and because there's more CO2 in the air, what are the plants like? They like warmth, they like sunshine, and they like CO2. That's, that's a perfect growing environment for plants. So there's been a 20 to 30% greening of the earth in the past 30 years. So that, that uh, approach in the 70s has totally flipped. Now we have more food, we have more people, and now we've got to find a different thing to scare the population about. Yeah, I think it all comes ahead. I mean... When you, when you put all these factors together, and um, there, it's definitely hard to not view it as, I hate to say this word, but a conspiracy. But I think that's, it's well, definitely it, an agenda. Yeah, and there's a big difference between a conspiracy and a conspiracy theory. A conspiracy is when two or more people work together to accomplish some nefarious means, right? And uh, a conspiracy theory is when you're just concocting up some type of story to explain away some weird event that you don't want to accept the mainstream explanation for. This is not a conspiracy theory. This is a conspiracy. These are the people at the heads of government, at the heads of education, pressing this information down on the population. The information just turns out to be 100% wrong. And what are their objectives for doing so? Well, when we listen to them, we empower them. Yeah. We, we, we put them in positions of authority that they can put regulations on our life and, and, and how we move about and how we um, exercise our freedom for commerce. And now those who can't produce that are just in academia or in politics now become empowered. And that's their way of, I, I guess, fulfilling their, their need for a sense of purpose in the world. Yeah, the, you go to power. I think... Um I think that's exactly right. I think it's money and power. And it reminded me of, as you're going through that whole analysis, what we are now finding out happened with the COVID lockdowns. I don't know if you've heard about this or if you've been following it, Sean, but 
there's a lot of leaked audio and a lot of interviews done by the then, uh, I think she was director of the CDC or something like that, and, and she basically would just get on the phone and, and say, people would ask her, well, can we do this, that, or the other, this activity? And then she would call some of her friends in different government agencies, and they're like, I don't know, I don't think we should do that. And so they'd say, no, you can't do that. So a lot of these mandates were actually just fueled by these bureaucrats willy-nilly. It wasn't scientifically based at all. They were just they were just deciding, no, that doesn't sound like a safe thing, so you can't do that. And uh, now this is all coming out. It wasn't based or driven by science at all. And I think it goes to your, your point of power. Why would they do that? Because they're in a powerful position, and people like, once you taste that power, oftentimes it's very difficult to take that away. You and I have worked through different organizations, charitable organizations, one of which is, I hate to say this on, on air, but one was the Boy Scouts. And as we worked in that organization, you would always find, and this is usually a volunteer, mm -hmm. not usually, it is, it's a volunteer thing. Yeah. But some of those individuals, and you ran into them too, like I did, <laughs> they get a little taste of power in this organization, and it was like horrible to deal with. They were so oppressive and they would come down on you and all these things. I'm like, aren't we all in this for the kids, you know? Right. This is, I'm not getting paid for this. You're not getting paid for this. But they had a little bit of authority in this organization, and they, they would just make your life horrible yeah. if they wanted to. Um, and it just really was, it was depressing, and it chilled the idea of us wanting to volunteer more of our time and be more involved with the kids. If you had this, this person above you that was wielding this power, and they just, this was their taste of power, and... I'm like, geez, man, you need to get a, a better day job or something. But they, something was going on in their life, I guess, that they just had to, this was the only power or control that they could exert, and so they would exert it. You yeah. Know? Well, and honestly, that's, that's a perfect example because the Boy Scouts we've seen, they thrived for 100 years, and they really helped provide a staple for boys to become men for boys that needed to get outside and expend that extra energy to learn how to camp, to learn some survival skills. Life skills, really. I mean, yeah, that's what it's designed to and do. And survival skills aren't just being able to sleep overnight in the woods. Survival skills are, you know, basic things, interacting with other people in group situations where you present problems and they have to overcome those problems together, whether it's rowing together in a canoe or we would intentionally capsize a canoe and say, okay, now figure it out. How are you going to get that canoe upright again, back in the canoe, and get to shore. And those not only taught you how to not drown if you're going to flip a boat, but how to work together with others. And that is what we're doing essentially in life. What happened was they um, watered down the actual requirements to move forward in Boy Scouts, to earn the merit badges, to earn the different ranks. And they made it so everybody could achieve those, regardless of their skills, whether it's socially or physically or mentally or otherwise. And so every, it had to be all-inclusive. We couldn't exclude anybody or maintain higher requirements because some helicopter mom out there is making sure her kid gets advanced just as quickly as the next kid out there. And uh, then we also put individuals that were not competent, to be productive in other fields of our society, in leadership roles, in scouts, and their lack of competency really showed in their leadership, and, and they got that taste of power, and it was something foreign to them, and they would exert it over people that were, you and me, participating on a volunteer basis for our, for our sons and the sons of our neighbors 
to just do good, and they wanted to just advance their agenda and their their, their power hungry appetite. Yeah, I think uh, I think we as individuals, and this is just Adam Hansen speaking. I mean, I'm not a psychologist. I'm not you know anything really, but my, what I've observed through my lifetime is that I think we as individuals we we want to have or feel like we are in control of our lives or we have some sort of um, uh, consistency day to day. And so any little taste of authority oftentimes will go to a person's head because they can control that situation. Whether they're going to be oppressive or not, most times they are. It's human nature. It is human nature to, to be able to control things and feel good about that because I'm in control and I'm going to exert that control so that I feel better psychologically about what I'm, where I'm at in my life. And unfortunately, life's not like that. You have to be able to roll with the punches, as they say. You have to be able to um, adapt and, and pivot. But uh, a person that can adapt and pivot. You lost me with that. Sorry. I know. I know you didn't watch Friends. But it's on Friends. Okay. Everybody else will know what I'm talking about. So you have to be able to adapt. And and a person that can adapt and move with changing circumstances is so much better um, a, a, equipped to deal with anxiety and with things that are now plaguing our society because we have watered down, like you said, the challenges that we often face. I th you think about a generation ago or two generations ago, they didn't have the ability to water down things. You just had to take it. Mm -hmm. And you had to adapt. You had to, these uncontrollable events will happen and you have, to, you have to deal with it, and you have to grow from that. A lot of people, it's either you grow from it and you do better, or you change, or you fail. And uh, I think our, our parents and our grandparents had to live with that, and they came through. I think nowadays we have too, not too much, but we have a lot of technological means that can ease our burden and ease these events that... that um, historically have given us challenges. And so nowadays we can use AI to answer our questions or we can use Google to answer our questions or we can go to YouTube and search something up and um, hopefully it's going to fix the issue that I'm, I'm dealing with. Before, you just had to get through it. Yeah. Figure out your own way. And, or, or learn how to do without, right? And that was a lot of it. I think that a problem, and this is very contradictory it seems that we have too much prosperity we have too much wealth there's too much food there's too much leisure already and and that i think really counters the argument of marxism marxism is if we all share and we all contribute according to our ability then we'll all have more leisure time and then arts will go forward in um in greater abundance and so will um the ability of us to get along with one another and just have this utopian society. And it's actually the opposite is true. The more we have, the more we want. If you have a nice car, what do you do? You wash it every day. If you don't have a nice car, you don't worry about it, right? You just drive it, you get from A to B, and that's it. But you get, you get this nice car, now you want nice wheels for it. And you, 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 con you, you constantly want to improve your situation. And that's human nature, and I think that's a good thing. But we've got to this point where we're so wealthy now that uh, the people that need to fill that 
sense of power that really aren't producing and participating in society, they are creating problems that they themselves can solve. They're starting the fire and then the, they're the firemen coming to put it out. And these are our politicians and these are our eco-warriors and our social agenda warriors that are going out there and saying, hey, there's systematic racism out there and put me in power and I'm gonna cure it. Why don't we just like let the people work together on a merit system and I think we're gonna actually work things out much better when we see who can actually provide and produce on their own instead of being racist and whether it's being racist on a um, affirmative action type movement with reverse racism or it, the other way around. And we've seen it both ways in our country and even in our lifetime. We, we've lived enough to see that there were racism both ways. But the discussion about racism, I love that interview with Morgan Freeman on 60 Minutes. And he was being interviewed, and the question was, um, <clears throat> it's Black History Month. Um, what, what's your favorite part about Black History Month? And he says, I don't think we ought to have a Black History Month. And uh, the, the reporter was taken back about that. And he goes, well, r really? You, know, you don't want to celebrate your history? And he goes, well, I'm an American. My history is American history. Blacks are involved in that history quite a bit. We already discussed that aspect of it. We don't want to focus on it. And the interviewer was Jewish, and he goes, what is, when is Jewish month? And he goes, we don't have one. And he goes, okay, well, what, what would, if you could choose a month, what would it be? And he goes, well, I don't, I don't want a Jewish month. And he goes, right, and I don't want a black month. We're all Americans right now. We're all humans more than that. Let's just focus on what we are doing and what we're trying to get through together as opposed to what distinguishes us and separates us. I think that's that's well said. We got to go to break. This is life, death, and the law. Coming up, more thought-provoking conversations on life, death, and the law. Right after this. Hey, you, my Dave Ramsey here. If you listen to our show or know anything about us, then you know I only recommend products and services I trust and I believe in. That's why when it comes to protecting your assets and planning for your loved one's future, you've got to call my friends Sean Garner and Adam Hansen at the law firm of Deason, Garner, and Hansen. I encourage you to take the first step and attend a free, no-pressure seminar and learn all of your options. The firm of Deason, Garner, and Hansen has been educating the Yuma community for over 40 years, and this is the only area of law that they practice. Sean and Adam believe in giving free education to help people make smart decisions about their assets and help them leave a legacy for their family that they can be proud of. Schedule a free personal consultation today. Call 783-4575 or visit YumaEstatePlanning.com. You're listening to Life, Death, and the Law, presented by Deason, Garner, and Hanson, the law firm that has been voted Yuma's best six years in a row. Welcome back to Life, Death, and Law. I'm attorney Adam Hanson, and I'm with uh, my partner, Sean Garner. We've got Cody Beeson as well in the studio today, uh, pushing buttons and stuff like that. Uh, we've got a couple seminars coming up at the end of this month. So if you weren't able to make it to our last seminars uh, last month in August, which were a little bit finicky because the Yuma Main Library was having some issues with their AC unit. I guess they've fixed that now. And so we are going to be doing a seminar this coming uh, 28th of September. That's at the Yuma Main Library, and that will be at 1030 in the morning. And then we're also going to do another seminar 
on Friday the 29th at, uh, I believe that's at 1? 1? 1.30. 1.30? Okay. So we'd love to see you out there. One of my favorite things at these seminars is uh, not only meeting with people, I love to talk and interact, and so does Sean, but also answering questions. We can tell that people come to our office, or excuse me, come, come to these seminars, and they come ready to, to learn, number one. Number two, they often will have questions that they bring with them. And one of my favorite parts of this experience is taking some time at the very end of our presentation to open it up to questions. And that often, I think, is a great learning experience between all of us there in the room. So it's your opportunity to come and grill Sean and I and to ask us questions. And, and when do you get to do that without having to pay a big legal bill, right? So you have two candid attorneys there at your disposal to ask questions to as it pertains to getting your affairs in order. So come on out. That's Thursday the 28th at the Yuma Main Library at 10.30 in the morning. And then there's Friday the 29th at the Yuma uh, Foothills Library at uh, 1.30 in the afternoon. You know, we always get a heckler or a skeptic in the crowd. And um, Adam, how do you feel about that when you get that uh, loud, boisterous person that says, oh, you know, I think you guys are just uh, trying to sell us some of your services that aren't necessary because I can just name somebody as a payable on death beneficiary in all my accounts and I'll be fine. Yeah, I mean, it's the same as when we deal with like financial planners and stuff. It's just ignorance of what can actually happen because they haven't been through as many experiences as we've seen. And so from, a, from an outside perspective, you could say, oh, yeah, this little quick Band-Aid fix is going to do fine for me. But what do you? But when what, I ask them further on, well, what happens if so and so does this, or what happens if this happens? Oh, I didn't think of that. So there's so much more than just um, one isolated particular issue, like a house or an account. But do you dread that, or, or what are your feelings about that when you have those uh, boisterous skeptics in the crowd? Do you like it or do you hate it? I love it because we get to hash out and get to the truth of the matter, and that's what free speech is about. I want to hear the naysayers. I want to hear the negative or the opposite views so that we can go back and forth in a civil manner and come to the conclusion of what is actually true. And that doesn't happen unless you allow a debate or you allow questions that might be uncomfortable for some. Um, and that's, that's the challenge that we face here in our, our current system. Um, of government is we don't get answers because nobody's asking hard questions. We don't get to the truth. We all pretty much know the truth, but the government tells us it's the opposite of what we <laughs> we know it is, and uh, we can't question that. And right. so I, I I love the interaction with individuals at these seminars because we can get to the truth because we're not going to silence you. We want you to ask really good questions so that we can all experience. Okay, now we've. We've droned down and we've fleshed out these issues and we've got to the actual truth of, of the matter. So that's coming up. We, we welcome you. Um, Sean, you've had an experience this last week where you had to go and do some car shopping. Yes. The mo my most favorite thing to do is shopping for cars. Actually, it's not. I dread it. I hate it. But I have kids um, that are reaching driving age. I've had two that uh, already got their license, and then graduated, moved out. So we went through that situation with them, and now I have a daughter who is 15, and uh, we're looking for a car for her. So it was, it's so interesting. Um, it seems like the bigger the corporation gets, the more government-like it becomes. 
the more bureaucratic it becomes, and the more painful the whole process is. For example, I bought two vehicles in the past two weeks. One I saw alongside the road. It was an individual selling their car, and uh, so we, we stopped along, we read the sticker, said how many miles it was, the price. We called them, scheduled a time to meet, and by that evening, that car was ours. We had title, it was signed over. The total negotiation and paperwork took probably about 15 minutes. The rest of it was actually just looking at the, the vehicle itself and driving it around and figuring out if it was gonna be the right fit for us. Then we were looking for, now that was for my daughter, right? She, she got this used vehicle and um, it was private party. We're looking for a new car for my wife. And uh, so I call the dealerships around and I do my research. I wanna see you know, what has all the, the bells and whistles and I want her to be comfortable in a car and I want my kids to be safe. And so I'm researching all the brands and all the deals and everything that's out there. And I can see what the MSRP is, which is the manufacturer's suggested retail um, price. But that has nothing to do, and this is where the rub comes, has nothing to do with the actual price of the vehicle. So for example, if a vehicle, the MSRP is $50,000, you're not gonna just go in and pay $50,000 plus maybe taxes. You're gonna go in and there's gonna be taxes, title, um, there's going to be paper processing fee, there's gonna be licensing fees, and then there's gonna be like the dealers, they, they, they put on tint and, why don't they just wait to see if I want tint on the, on the vehicle, right? But no, they put their tint on and their tint job just happens to be $1,000 where I could get it for 150 bucks somewhere else. And um, then they put on what some call it their desert package where they put on this um, special wax on the vehicle where the paint's gonna not fade and others call it their weather protection package. But either way, it starts going up to thousands of dollars. So by the time you walk out of the dealership, and you've sat through this whole pitch that explains all the paperwork, and we've actually not even talked a bit about the mechanics of the vehicle, it's hours later, and it's like $15,000 more. If you, if you went to go buy a $50,000 vehicle, it's going to be a $65,000 price tag. And you, you kind of look, and you're like, wait a second, I knew my budget was $50,000. That's why I was shopping for $50,000. Why am I walking away feeling like you know, I've just been abused? And, and owe $65,000 on a car that the manufacturer suggests it be 50000 And there used to be those deals out there. We used to hear them all the time, 5000 below MSRP. And, and now it's like, we're only going to charge you 15000 over MSRP and, <laughs> and get in line if you want to get the color that you want. I don't... So what happened there? Um, first of all, I... It wasn't a rhetorical question. So, Adam, what do you think? What do you think happened? I have no idea. I, I really... I, was the it first COVID? Thing, well, I, I, the first thing that comes to mind is just the, the onerous uh, lending issues that but dealers have to deal with. But I'm going in with cash every time. Not on your end, on their end. I think you're the exception. I think most people will probably... And they want that. They want you to take a loan. And if you don't take a loan from them, then it's actually worse for them and so they're going to actually mark it up. Have you seen that before? So yeah. I think I think a an overall dealership like Dodge, not dealership but a manufacturer like Dodge or a Ford, there there are so many uh, red tape issues that they make it very difficult for their dealers 
the people that are signing up and say, I'm going to sell Dodge for you, I'm going to sell Ford for you. These dealerships have so much from the top down that they have to do. I don't think, I don't think a dealer, if you go to the dealer, like, oh, yeah, we, we came up with this paper system or this computer <laughs> system because uh, we're really smart. They're not doing that. It's the manufacturers yeah. that they're representing. Americans are smarter than most people give them credit for, especially politicians. They think that we're stupid and they can feed us lies all day and we're just going to go along with it and like sheep and, and we're going to continue wearing masks or social distancing or shutting down our businesses or stopping our worshiping practices and going to church just because the government says so. And I know that the round 15 or whatever it is of COVID is coming out again. And I'm not trying to downplay the seriousness of COVID, but I am trying to downplay the overreaction to it I think that was 10 times more detrimental than the illness itself. And now I have close friends that I lost, a lot of clients that I lost to COVID. But I think a bigger part of it was because people stopped thinking for themselves. They, they gave over their, um, their ability to think through the problem and address the medical issue to the government instead of their, their learning and their actual ability to look at a symptom and treat treat it for what it was. And so I went out for my personal family and we got treatment outside the mainstream establishment. We didn't go to the big hospital in town. We went to San Luis, San Luis, Arizona. We would go to Calexico, where it was a small clinic that was independently run and the doctors there still dealt with you like a human being instead of just processed you through this big bureaucratic system. And I think the same things happen with dealerships, anything that's a big organization that happens with. And I guess what I'm saying out there is, let's get real again. Let's treat each other intelligently. Let's be transparent, say what it is that we think, and allow that conversation to occur so then the truth, or at least the best argument, can prevail, rather than censoring the information, whether it's the price of a car or the outcome of the disease, and, or even whether or not a trust is the best thing for your estate plan. Absolutely. Well said. We've got to go. Till next week, this is Life, Death, and Law. If you have questions or want to know more about something that was discussed today, please call the law firm of Deason, Garner, and Hanson at 928-783-4575 or visit yumaestateplanning.com.